Dear Father God, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for our Lord Jesus, for his rule over us and for his uh, impending return. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who works in us as we hear your words to shape us and change us and to help us to live with Jesus in the centre of our vision. Father, we do ask that you'd help us to do that this morning, to live for Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen. You know, uh, my obsession with details sometimes borders on the ridiculous. Let me give you an example. Uh, The last time my wife Catherine and I moved house was to come up here to Chatswood from Newtown. And the truck was booked for December the 11th. The house keys were due back the next day and that would be it for us in Newtown, the end. Time to pack was limited. The big picture was that we had to get all our stuff into the truck pronto. So come December the 10th, the day before the move, what am I doing? Slowly going through all the stuff on my desk, making sure it has the perfect place in the perfect box, wiping the dust off individual computer cables, (laughs) cleaning between the keys on my keyboard, making sure I get the dust out of all the gaps. I'd be taking like an hour to pack one small box. And in the meantime, Catherine would have packed the kitchen, mopped the floor, cleared the fridge and taped up 17 newly packed boxes. My fixation on these details, well, it was understandable. (laughs) The stuff I was packing up mattered to me, mattered to me. I like a clean keyboard. The stuff in my life matters to me, but it was a little infuriating for Catherine, to say the least. She'd be like, Marty, what are you doing? Don't you know the truck is coming soon? It's only a matter of hours. We're out of here. You don't need to do that now. There's mountains of stuff still to do. You see, my problem was that I had, I had lost sight of the bigger picture. I wasn't keeping the moving truck front and centre in my mind. So it was easy to get obsessed with the little details, the particular details. The fact that that truck was coming soon should have completely dominated my packing strategy. Instead, I was fixated on the nitty-gritty. You know, I think a similar thing can happen to all of us. I don't mean just when we move house, but in life. We can obsess over particular aspects of our lives. We can become so fixated on those details that we lose sight of the bigger picture. We lose sight of the fact that Jesus is Lord and he's coming back soon. This is the fact that should dominate our life strategy. And when we lose sight of that, it's easy to let the everyday things, the things of here and now, let let them move into the front and centre and to push Jesus out to the side. You know, as as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he wanted them to keep Jesus front and centre. He didn't want them to obsess over the details of their lives. He wanted them to obsess, if we can use that positively, obsess over Jesus, to show him undivided devotion. And as we come back to chapter 7 today, we'll see that Paul wants single people, in particular, to obsess over Jesus, to be fixated on him, to show him undivided love and devotion. So... How does Paul encourage the Corinthians to do this? 
We're going to jump back in at verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we'll see first that Paul gives the Corinthians an overarching principle. This principle, remain. Remain. Remain in the situation of life you had when you became a Christian. Don't get fixated on changing that situation. Let's read it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. Verse 17 says, Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Now, last week, in in the first part of chapter 7, we saw that Paul has already talked about marriage and singleness. He he speaks of singleness as, um, if you're single, it's good to remain single, as I am, back in verse 8. But before he comes back to issues of marriage and singleness, he illustrates this concept of remaining in two other groups. There's people who are worried about circumcision and there's people worrying about slavery. And and Paul says, remain as you are. Don't stress about changing your earthly status. It's It's okay to keep the position you had when you became a Christian. Paul applies this to circumcision in verses 18 to 20. Have a look, verse 18. Verse 18. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping, keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation in which he was in when God called him. And the same goes even for slaves, even for people who might be desperate to change their circumstances. Paul says, don't be troubled by your status. Jesus is your master anyway. Don't obsess over earthly freedom. Just remain. Read read from verse 21. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price, didn't become slaves of men. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him to. So that's the main principle. Remain. Don't worry about changing your earthly status. So with those two examples, Paul comes to the main group he wants to talk, talk to uh, in this section, virgins. And Paul uses this word virgin to mean unmarried people. How should they live in this world? Or well, again, the principle is the same. Remain. Paul says, virgins, you can get married if you want to, it's no sin, but you'll just add pressure and complication to your life. My judgment is that it's better for you to remain as you are. So if you're promised in marriage, stay promised. If you're unmarried, stay unattached. Let's read verses 25 to 38. Now on your outlines there, you'll notice I've got a different verse 27. This is from the NIV 2011. Uh, Verse 27 there says, Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. You see there? in your outline. I think that's a better translation because it makes it clear that this section is still talking to uh, unmarried people. So let's read uh, verses 25 
to 28. Now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Paul then goes on to give two reasons it's good to remain. Two reasons. The first reason is that this world is temporary. And virgins, along with everyone else, should only hold on to this world very, very loosely. You see, the Corinthians needed to live with the big picture in view, didn't they? They needed to let that dominate their life strategy. Jesus is coming back soon. He's like the removal truck, booked for tomorrow morning. When Jesus arrives, the whole world will be packed up and moved on to something new. So it's no good fixating on stuff here and now. It's no good obsessing about the perfect marriage or being consumed with um, the painful things in your life or even um, constantly chasing happiness or success or money or possessions. There is precious time left before Jesus returns. Those things will pass away. The right use of time is to serve Jesus, to obsess about him. So hold on so loosely to the things of this world that you could be said to even be not, it's like they're not married. It, not sad, not happy, not owning anything. <laughs> Big picture. Jesus is coming back. Time is running out. Don't get bogged down. Let's see this idea in verses 29 to 31. Verse 29 there. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present, in its present form, is passing away. Marriage is a temporary reality. That's one reason Paul can say, virgins, you can stay as you are. Look at the big picture. Marriage isn't the permanent thing. So that's one reason to remain. But Paul goes on to give a second reason it's good for virgins to remain as they are. It's because singleness is practically easier. Not morally better, but practically easier to devote undivided attention to Jesus. It's generally more straightforward to work out how to serve Jesus with undivided devotion if you are single. Now, Paul wants the Corinthians to serve Jesus in every life situation. Married people should and do still serve Jesus. But every day, a married person has to ask, how will I serve my husband or wife today? And will that match up with serving Jesus? How, how should I do both at the same time? Which, which of all the things I need to do should I do first? 
There's a kind of a, a splitting of the mind for married people. And it's tiring. Now, single people might indeed have more physical time and energy, but there's, there's also this mental drain for married people. Uh, uh, divided, inten- uh, divided attention. That's exactly what Paul calls it, divided attention. For you uh, mathematicians out there, it's like there are more variables in the equation for married people. There's the husband variable and the wife variable. There might even be the kids variable. And to solve this equation, you have to juggle all these variables. It becomes a complicated equation to solve to get to serving Jesus. And working out the serving Jesus equation is usually simpler for single people. Now, Paul's not making a blanket rule. Single people can't get married. He's not restricting them. He just wants to encourage undivided devotion to the returning Jesus. Look at verses 32 to 35. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So, virgins, remain as you are. Two reasons. This world and marriage are temporary. Jesus is returning. Secondly, marriage divides your interests. And your interests should be serving Jesus. Okay, that's all well and good. But what about sexual immorality? What happens when sexual immorality raises its ugly head for a virgin? What if a virgin is burning with passion? How do they serve Jesus then? Well, says Paul, get married. It's okay. Sexual immorality is never an option. Marriage is a good option. But if your passions are under control, consider singleness. In terms of undivided devotion, singleness is even better than marriage. In verses 36 to 38, Paul describes the options for a single person weighing up whether to get married in the face of of sexual temptation that's out there. Let's read that again from verse 36. Now, just a note again on, in verse 36, I think there's a, a bit that's better in the NIV 2011. It's the phrase, she is getting along in years. I think that's better to read as, his passions are too strong. Now, those two sentences are quite different. You can ask me later about that translation issue if you like. But let's read verse 36, and I'll pop, I'll pop in the uh, phrase from the NIV 2011. Okay, verse 36. If anyone, if anyone thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, and he feels he ought to marry, 
He should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. And that's where Paul finishes his instructions about virgins. But he has a final word to widows. And no surprise, Paul says the same thing to them. You'd be happier to remain. It's fine to marry a Christian, but consider the call of the time. Couldn't you obsessively serve Jesus better by remaining single? So let's finish reading. Verses 39 and 40. Verse 39. A woman is bound to her husband as long as, she, as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Okay, that's our passage for this morning. Do you see Paul's argument here? Jesus is coming back soon. He is the centre of the big picture. And this world as we know it will, will pass away. So, don't obsess over your life circumstances. Obsess over Jesus. Don't constantly worry about circumcision or slavery or marriage or singleness even. Think about how to maximise your devotion to serving Jesus. And in that context, consider the single life. Consider it very seriously. If Jesus is coming back soon and time is precious, doesn't a virgin have greater freedom to serve if they remain single? Friends, what do you think of Paul's argument here? Do you believe him? It's pretty radical, I think. The vibe I get is that we often think of singleness primarily as the waiting period for marriage. 1 Corinthians 7 doesn't let us think like that. Here, singleness is the waiting period for Jesus to return. In fact, it's the best, least complicated, better resourced way to wait for him. It's the easiest state of life in which to obsessively serve Jesus. And that's what we should be doing. You know, each one of us, no matter our... our, um, our status, married, married or single, we should all let the, the challenge of this passage hit us. Friends, Jesus is coming back soon. Your marriage, your singleness, your job, your emotional experiences, Paul is saying relative to Jesus, those things may not be as big as we think they are. Now, the details of our lives are important. God cares about the details of our lives. But we must keep them in their place. Don't get bogged down in them. Don't invest all your time in them. Don't fret over those details. We must keep Jesus in his place, front and centre, obsess over him. Invest your time in him. We should all be doing this. But God has a particular word here for you 
if you are single. A particular word for you. For you, what will it look like to have a 1 Corinthians 7 attitude to singleness? Firstly, we need to remember that our godliness matters. Our godliness matters. As we seek to serve Jesus, we should make decisions that protect and promote our godliness. So, one implication is that if you're a single person finding it hard to exercise sexual self-control, then marriage is a good and valid option. Even though Paul says here it's good to remain single, getting married is okay too, because our godliness matters. You might be uh, right now in a relationship that's already headed towards marriage, you're engaged or soon to be engaged. Friends, if the wedding seems too far away, if there's too much opportunity to act improperly toward each other, then grab your diary and rethink the wedding date. Because your godliness matters. Or perhaps there's there's things you feel that are, are getting in the way of getting married. You haven't completed your studies yet, or you haven't got a secure income, or you need to put a deposit on the house, or or... Friends, our godliness matters. And I suspect too that this might be a word that parents and grandparents need to hear. Of course, we want to teach and train our children to to be self-controlled and to not rush, rush unwisely into marriage. But perhaps it is the case that what is best, what is best for your son or daughter is that they get married sooner than you might feel comfortable with. Our godliness matters. So, it's okay to get married. But Paul says, in many cases, it's better to be single. Better to be single. So, friends, I think we should think that it's better. And we should speak like it's better. And we should act like it's better. Because the Bible's saying here that in many cases, it is better. We should elevate our thinking about singleness, I think. We should change the way we think about it. You see, our culture impresses on us that that enjoying sex and, and getting married and having a white wedding is what life is all about. But since when did our culture take the place of Jesus in dominating our life strategy? Jesus is coming back. We should love the opportunity that singleness gives for undivided devotion love it think that it is better and this thinking should flow into the way we speak about singleness and whether we're married or single we'd all do well to speak about singleness in a positive way not saying oh it's such a shame you aren't married well when when are you going to find a spouse or the classic one you get at weddings your turn next Friends, we should speak positively about singleness. In our prayers, I love it when we give thanks to God for our single people. Let's continue to do that. Let us thank God for the undivided devotion so many of our brothers and sisters here show to Jesus. Thank God for them. 
And this should flow also into our, our actions about singleness. We should act like singleness is better. Uh, for those of us who are married, we, we should never be smug like our marriage means we've made it in life. We should be very careful about interfering with single people's lives if they don't want it, with, with trying to set people up. There is a place for that, but it comes after relationship and conversation with the person. But if you're single, let me ask you this. Are you grabbing with both hands those opportunities? The opportunities that, to serve Jesus that are out there, in, in school, in uni, at home, here at church, of course, but with your friends, with your families, in your job? Are you grabbing with both hands the opportunities to serve Jesus? Are you doing that? Let Jesus dominate the picture. But friends, it's, it's not always easy to treat singleness as better, is it? This is a hard mental shift often because there is real pain and longing and uncertainty for single people. I don't want to be patronising by saying singleness is easy because you don't have a spouse. Because your grief at, single, being, at being single is real. Real grief. And the last thing you want to hear is another preacher get up and glibly say, oh, your life is simple. Here's the solution. Exercising patience and trust in God is genuinely hard work. Hard work. Keep it up. But there is no way that God's word will let us lose Jesus from the centre of the picture. Compared to him, everything else moves into the background. No matter our situation in life, Jesus is coming back soon. So, even through the painful times, fix your mind on Jesus. Fix your mind on pleasing him. You know, uh, I know lots of single people in this church who are getting busy serving Jesus. And that is just fantastic. You guys understand the times we live in. The clock is ticking on this world. It won't last. But you're investing in the next world. You're keeping Jesus at the foreground and using the extra flexibility you have for big picture stuff. Keep it up. Don't let the details of life move into centre. Let Jesus keep dominating. Friends, this world won't last. Jesus is coming back soon. We must keep him as our big picture. We must be obsessed with serving him. So, let's have a radically positive view of singleness. Let's celebrate singleness as the opportunity it is for undivided devotion to our Lord Jesus. Because there is no one better to be obsessed with. Will you pray with me? <coughs> Dear Father God, we pray that your kingdom would come. 
Father, we ask that you would send your Lord Jesus back soon. Come, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for our single brothers and sisters here. We thank you for the gifts that you've given them, the lives that you've given them. We thank you for the way that so many of them give of themselves to serve us and to serve you, Lord Jesus. Father, we pray for those among us who are worried, who are weighed down with their circumstances. We pray that we would be able to help each other with sensitivity and with great love. Father, we pray for all of us that we would each have the big picture in mind, that Jesus would be at the centre of that picture. Father, we pray that that would flow out into the way we think and act and speak. We pray that that would result in us being devoted, single-minded, obsessed with serving Jesus. Father, we pray for your, your help. We pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us. And Father, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.